Who is Jesus? What is he doing? And what does it mean to follow him in the world today? My name is Matt Lewis. This is the Follower Podcast, and everyone is invited to the conversation. Hey, Rebecca, how's it going? Good morning. It's uh, going well. Thanks for uh, agreeing to be on the Follower Podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm so stoked. Yeah, I think it's going to be a really good conversation uh, for everyone listening in and uh, for you as well. We're in the middle of this, uh, well, we're in this series called Saturate. And uh, really my heart around it has been to, I want to be inviting people who are in different spheres of society. And really, um, you know, the heart of follow-up podcast has always been to explore the person of Jesus, who he is, what he's doing and what it means to follow him in the world today. And I think one of the effective ways of doing that is through the lens of other people's lives. Um, and so we know that none of us own Jesus, and none of us own truth. We're just kind of witnesses to truth. And so the more we can engage in, in different people's understandings of this, the bigger that picture of who Jesus is becomes. And so uh, that's kind of what we want to do. And uh, when I started this, when I had this idea for Saturate, what I wanted to do was really look at the person of Jesus through the lens of different spheres of society. So like the sphere of education and governance, uh, the sphere of church and different, different ways that God is uh, affecting the world and different people's lives. And then when I thought about education, um, the sphere of education, you were literally the first person that came to mind. Um, and I thought I've got to get Rebecca on the show. That'd be amazing. So it's so good to have you. Um, I, I thought about when was the first time I actually met you. And for me, it goes back to how many years ago now? It's like five years. Yeah. Even more. Six years. I left about four years ago to relocate from Joburg to Nairobi. So yeah, maybe six. Six years. We're getting old, eh? Well, we're getting wise. We're not getting old. We're getting wise. That's right. That's we're, we're, you know what? We've, we've both lost hair since we met each other. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I met you in Johannesburg. Um, at the time, I was in the process of establishing some kind of inner city church ministry. And you were in the process of uh, teaching at a school. At first, you were teaching at an academy. And then you started teaching at, uh, started a school, Spark School, yeah? Mm-hmm. And yeah, well, I relocated from California as a teacher and then always was a part of Spark as a principal. Yeah, yeah. that's right. And then you, uh, one of your kind of projects that started really impacting that area that we were in Johannesburg was the JP Photo Club. Um, mm-hmm. where, tell us a little bit about that idea. Gosh, it impacted me so much more maybe than the kids um but it was this idea that that you know people should be able to tell stories of their communities on their own terms and i think if you google jeppy's town um you know you would see images of xenophobic attacks and stories of poverty and drugs and you know, all these, all these things that are, are truths for the community, but are just partial truths. And there's so many beautiful truths about Jeppystown um, that often don't, aren't celebrated or go unseen. And um, so I wanted to 
um, help kids especially be able to to explore and share their worlds in a visual way. So um, we did that through photography. And so it was the Youth Photography Club um, with monthly exhibits that would bring folks together from around Joburg across um, different classes and races. And um, it was a learning experience for all of us. Yeah. And uh, I think my time, I mean, that time working within in Johannesburg city was very formative for me. I think that was a part of the season that really started to disrupt some of the ways I saw, I guess, following Jesus in the world and what it meant to be faithful to that. And you were a big part of that uh, disruption, I guess, because your life uh, and who you are as a person, I've always seen you as a kind of outlier uh, in, mm-hmm. in the best way, uh, in the sense that um, you you're not comfortable with just kind of assimilating into the norm. There seems to be this deep conviction within you that calls you to press forward. And I I guess not only sort of um, optimistically believe that another world is possible, but really take up your responsibility to build that other world. And I, I saw that in the JP photo club. I mean, you use this platform of Instagram, which has, all the potential to be a superficial kind of space of uh, self-promotion. And you really repurposed that for the engine of community and brought people around uh, together, sharing people's stories across divides, economically, racially, all around the simple thing of a little camera, you know? And it was just amazing to me how you were able to use that tool to create community in that context. And so that started to really stir within me. And, I, and so I, I thank you for that. There was one of the, at least one of the contributors toward for me, a journey to try and figure out how we more, I guess, holistically be Jesus in the world. So oh, that's so fascinating. Thank you for that. I'm humbled by that. And you also must know we met before I relocated to Jeppy. I was in Elovo and I was deciding where to move next. And in that process, you gave me um, a book by Shane Claiborne and I read it and I was just like, ugh, you know, like you can't unknow what you know. You're just like, you know, so I was, I was, I was nervous. It wasn't like a no brainer for me. Like, yeah, yeah, you should go petition to live in low income housing. And, um, but it was, I think those are some of my most, that's such an alive moment in a live um, season in my life and you definitely played a role in, in getting me there. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. And so what I'm interested in, and uh, even for the people listening, tell us a bit about how do you become Rebecca Crook? So, how, so tell us a bit about your life. What are the elements that you came from that kind of contribute to you being the person that you are today? Yeah, what a rich question for 8.30 a.m. (laughs) (laughs) But I think it's such a beautiful one um, because it made me reflect a bit about like how did a mixed-race Japanese-American young woman get from her small home in California to a big city in South Africa to now the capital of Nairobi, Kenya. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's wild. But I think what it really does come back to is from a really young age, um, my, one of my favorite people ever still is, is my grandfather, who we call Bop. He just turned 96. And 
one of my favorite things to do growing up was to play cards with him and to listen to his stories. And so um, he grew up during World War II and as a young Japanese American in Seattle, which is in the West Coast of the United States, um, you know, he, he would tell me, you know, Rebecca, when I was young, like you, I had to pack my life into bags that we could carry. And so he didn't get to graduate from high school because he was being round up with about 100,000 other Japanese Americans and, and put in imprisonment camps. Um, he, his particular one was in Idaho. And so for me as a young kid, I was like, oh, wow, you know, the world is created for some people, but not an, all people, or at least the systems that govern the world serve some people, but not all people. Um, and I think that stirred in me this understanding. Well, first, I think this, this sense of rage, like this isn't right. And then this sense of hope and responsibility um, as I understood my faith more and understood and watched the people who I think lived out their faiths really well, um, was like, oh, we get to partner. Um, we get to partner in creating, you know, uh, this kingdom or what, um, what this amazing theologian, uh, Christina says is the kingdom, the kingdom of God. So I think mm -hmm. that's, that's quite formative. I would also say, you know, a huge theme in my life has, has, has been um, living and working with um, folks who are different from myself. And I think, you know, when I reflected on this question, I'm like, oh, this makes sense. Of course, you know, I, I grew up with a Caucasian father and a Japanese American mother and their worldviews could not be any different. And growing up in a bicultural, biracial family, I think really did influence me to be curious um, and to have a, a desire to really um, work and live and love um, cross-culturally. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's, that's part of what has shaped me and brought me here. And I think what's so interesting to me about that <clears throat> is that, um, you know, the Jesus that we follow, essentially a refugee uh, victim of genocide, uh, mm -hmm. from, you know, first century Palestine, uh, within his world. And he, his father was, a kind of a, a migrant laborer. So in a South African context, his father would have been the mm -hmm. same as some of the guys who wait on the side of the streets on the weekends to get a peace job. That would have been his dad. So he doesn't come from the sort of affluent context uh, he comes from the town of Nazareth, which is some kind of back alley town. Um, I think very often the, the power of Jesus has been hijacked in some ways by the vehicle of empire. Uh, and, and then in that space, we lose our Jesus. And particularly if we meet Jesus in that context, it can be very hard to see what his kingdom is really about. Because mm. so much of what Jesus is saying is that the system is not working the system of empire, the system of upward mobility where the few flourish and the many struggle, that system's not working. But my kingdom is not like that system. My kingdom is 
a system that actually meets the least of these and lifts those people up. I want to move toward a system of equity and I want to move toward a system of, uh, of uh, community and connectedness. And so part of the challenge I find is that if we're benefiting from the system as it is, sometimes it's very hard for us to really find the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God calls us out of those systems. Um, and so when, when you talk about your experience, there's almost a grace within that because um, uh, the kingdom of God met you through the experience of Bob, you know, like your worldview yeah. was a bit destabilized and you were able to say, oh, this is what life is like for the least of these. And so then there's a Jesus that meets you in that and calls you to the kind of life that you've lived, you know. I don't know if yeah. you would agree to that. Those are just some of my observations. Well, I think it's super obvious or, you know, if we just stop for a second and think about the current moment we're in this global pandemic, we're all, our lives around the world are being screeched to a halt by the coronavirus and the, and the COVID-19 outbreak that's happening right now. And I think that it's, you know, it's this huge opportunity to wake up to the fact, um, you know, that, that when one of us is sick, all of us are sick and we have not designed systems that center um, the well-being um, and the needs of the marginalized. And it's so easy. And I remember living in South Africa and it's so apparent here and in India and America and everywhere that I've lived. So, that, you know, we build, but I definitely remember Joe Burke, like these huge walls, right? And we think that we're safe and we're protected and we turn away. And I do this myself. It's so easy to, to turn a blind I, because it's, you know, to see and to be present um, to the dysfunction um, is, is an undoing. And it's, it's, a, it's a call to really undo, um, yeah, in many cases, what seems to serve us. But I think what I've learned is, you know, it doesn't really, it's not serve, serving our highest being, our highest selves when we're benefiting from um, systems of, white supremacy and patriarchy and ableism and all these things. Right. I think mm. we do not actually, we are not healthy um, when we participate in um, and, and sustain systems of oppression. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think, I think, you know, Jesus came to wreck all of that. I just, I love the man. He was such yeah. a rebel. He was cleaning yeah. tables. Yeah. And I think, um, that's, that's really scary because sometimes we, 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 you know, like you mentioned, we eat from those tables. We benefit from those tables, yeah. a lot of us, yeah. um, seemingly so. So I don't know. I'm kind of thinking, yeah, it's, it's, I, I really am thinking a lot about this as we're in this pandemic kind of space. Mm. And that's really part of uh, my hope for this series, at least, is that maybe it would be a spark that starts a conversation that leads to a community of people who start to say, you know, we have an opportunity to dream about and live a new world into yeah. reality. You know, we, do, totally. we don't have to just press pause and then after this go back to things as they were. This can be a reset in some ways, you know. There's the opportunity for that. But I don't think we get there alone. I don't think we get there in our isolated bubbles. I think we get there together. And so that's mm -hmm. kind of my hope is to gather people within their different spheres of influence and start to say, mm -hmm. you know, how do we dream about a different world? And then how do we live that? You know? 
Yeah. Which is great. And so tell us a little bit, bit about you and your friendship with Jesus. Obviously, that, that's really central to this whole thing. Tell us, who's, who's Jesus for you? Tell us about it. Who's Jesus to me? Oh, gosh, he's such a persistent friend. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think what's, what comes to mind to me um, yeah, is really, honestly, a role model. I, I think that um, if I honestly had to say who, which which people that are alive that I admire the most, like Jesus would be there. And that sounds like a really corny answer, but I think I just have felt, you know, there's a lot. I I grew up in a Christian household. My father is a pastor. There's a lot of toxicity um, in modern day churches, especially in America and America in general. Like I come from a really impoverished place in a lot of ways. Um, And the church is a part of that. But you know that that it, it is situated inside a, a polluted environment, so it, it seeps in some of that. And so, I think, you know, growing up, there's a lot about Christianity that, or, or even you know, becoming older and going, oh, do I agree with that? Is that how we should be? Is this really? Is this is this the best Christianity has to offer? And even as I question and grapple, that I do come back to Jesus, and I'm just like, well, you know what? This this person and how he lived his life, that is is something I aspire to and something that brings me deep hope and joy and peace and a sense of um almost a sense of rootedness, I think. So yeah, I would say Jesus is a role model to me and just a deep breath of air in the midst of religion. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Love that. And um, in terms of your vocation, so there's your personal relationship with Jesus. What your vocation, and for those who are not sure what vocation means, it just kind of means like what's the work that you're doing in the world? If, if the world is a garden, what's your little patch of land that you're kind of cultivating and trying to make beautiful? What are some of the things that you're doing that almost flow out of that friendship with Jesus you're describing? Yeah. So I think like the great thing is I don't think Jesus was like, I'm on a mission. I'm going to do it by myself. (laughs) You know, I think he's like, no, follow me, follow Mm. me. And um, so the way that I've chosen to follow um, is through education and I really think that, you know, we can, to use the words of Martin Luther King Jr., we can bend the arc of history towards justice uh, together in partnership with Jesus. It wasn't like, good on you, man, like, glad you yeah. did it. It is finished. I think he's like, no, follow me. And, you know, our father and our creator is like, I need you and you're part of the body. And I might be a pinky fingernail um but i see the work of supporting great teaching and learning um as a way to ensure that all people all of god's people have the skills and knowledge and opportunities and relationships um they need to thrive 
and they need yeah. to flourish and um, really are equipped to create a better world for themselves and for all of us. Yeah. And that comes down to this thing you said, which I love so much. And then I ask you on a packet a little bit is when I asked you about your vocation, you said, my purpose is to help people um, learn and love across lines of difference. My purpose is yeah. to help people learn and love across lines of difference. Unpack some of the elements of that in terms of what you think you're here to do in the world. Yeah. That makes me feel like even hearing that I'm like, yes. Um, so at the, you know, and, and my career I've made an education, but I think bigger than that, I think there's so many different ways to live out this purpose. But for me, why I'm on this earth is really, um, to support people across lines of difference, myself included, to, to be reconciled to each other, to be in relationship. Mm. Um, you know, I, I hope that in this journey that we, we become ever more of life, really, become more reconciled to ourselves, um, to each other, and to our creator. And I really feel that um, growing up how I did, having the curiosities that I do, having the, the adventure, spirit of adventure that I do, and the, 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 you know, all the things that sometimes I'm like, that's a weird thing about me. I think God put that in me because, um, yeah, I really do think um, the kingdom is going to require people to learn from and really love uh, folks who have different orientations to life. Yeah. 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 And this is, this is what's so beautiful. This idea across, across lines of difference, such a deep um, truth within that, in that the kingdom of God is not just your own tribe. You know, there's this idea that keeps repeating throughout scriptures that it's like every nation, every tribe, every time. Yeah. And there's an idea that within the diversity of the human experience, we get a bigger picture of the creator itself <laughs> we get a bigger picture of the god that is behind all these things you know and so i just love that you are willing to and not only willing feel called to and are passionate about pushing into the inconvenience of stepping across lines of of difference and i think that's what i've experienced in my little life so far and i think when i look at your life you definitely would have experienced this to a greater degree just in terms of what you've done is that when you choose consciously to step across those lines of indifference and not only step across yourself, but be a bridge for others, there's a certain amount of pain that's involved there. Um, could you share a little bit about that? The pain. Um, well, when I say pain, I just mean I it's not comfortable. You know, it's so much easier for me to be with people that, that are like me because then I never yeah. have to face my own bias. I never have to face my own prejudice. And I've felt when yeah. I step across those lines or try and help people across those lines, man, it gets uncomfortable yeah. there, but that's a good discomfort, yeah. you know? Yeah. Oh, I hear that. That's so interesting. Um, yeah, you're going to mess up. <laughs> I've yeah. messed up. I put my foot in my mouth so many times in different situations. Um, you have to be, I think, willing to look like a fool sometimes. Um, and that's hard. That's hard to our little egos, right? Um yeah, but my my sense is is just that you know you you open this podcast so beautifully, saying that each of us see and experience the Creator and see and experience Jesus through the lens 
of our own cultural upbringings. And we'd have a much fuller picture of who Jesus is if we um, pass the mic and listen to different folks. And we can't get um, an abundant, expansive um, picture of who Jesus is. And we can't experience the goodness of that and the healing of that if we're only listening to certain voices. Um, and I think at least in how I grew up, it was, it was a very select few who were, who were getting to speak mm-hmm. and that was very institutionalized. So, um, yeah, well, it may be uncomfortable, I think over, you know, yeah, I, I just think at the end of the day, it's so, it's so joyful. Mm. Yeah, I think it's true. I think there's a richness that gets um, developed in diversity uh, that we wouldn't experience in sort of our one-dimensional lives that look just more and more like us uh, in our little kingdoms. Um, and it's straight up not Christ-like. Yeah. Like yeah. Jesus hung out with the people who were considered the least of these, the least cool folks, the most sinful, do not have it together type of folks. And he also hung out with the Pharisees. He hung out with, he hung out with with everyone. And yeah. so, yeah. And you know, if we're to be Christ-like, we have to model that. We have exactly. to follow that model. Yeah. And even his entire existence on this planet is incarnational in its nature, you know? So even before we talk about what he did when he was here, the fact that he was here, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. the fact that God left the throne and entered into the dust and the dirt, which is the distinctive of Christian spirituality. Every other God story, uh, there's a, there's a distant God that remains within that God's context. And then we have to somehow bridge the gap. But the distinctive of the Christian spirituality is that that God enters in and steps across mm-hmm. the discomfort of engagements, mm-hmm. you know. And so yeah. even in the very substance of our Christian faith, like a bedrock, bedrock, um, there's a non-negotiable invitation to step across the line, you know. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so, so true. And then, and then we're in this time right now and uh, – <laughs> For those of you who heard that outside, that's called a hardy dog. Welcome to South Africa. Um, we're in this time right now of COVID-19, uh, unprecedented times. None of us have lived through something like this. I was reading this morning, currently 4 billion people on the planet are in isolation um, of some form, shape, or kind. Um, and there's difficult things that are going on and wonderful things that are going on in the midst of all this craziness, but it's not something we've ever had to navigate. And I think a lot of people honestly mm-hmm. are kind of scrambling and going, okay, what, what do we do now? And not only in the midst of it now, but off the back of this, uh, mm-hmm. you and your personal walk with Jesus, what kind of um, advice would you give to people, particularly within your vocational sphere? So educators at this time, what are some of the things that they could be thinking about that you are wrestling with? I am, I I see this as a huge opportunity, to be honest. I think we have known in many places that schooling and learning systems have been dysfunctional for a long time, that they do serve the few and not the many. And things have ground to to a halt right now. And I think it's this huge opportunity to really reimagine what learning looks like, um, 
And so that's what I'm thinking about right now um, in community with, um, with a community of amazing educators here in Kenya. And so I guess if you are an educator, I would just, I mean, first I would say you're a hero. I'm sure so many of you have had to um, so quickly figure out how to do distance learning or how to communicate to students when they're in their homes. Some have internet, some do not. Like your, um, how you live out your role right now has totally changed and I'm sure you've adapted to that. And that's amazing. And hats off to you. I'm so grateful for you. And so that, that would be my first thing. And then my second thing is you are so inherently creative. You are such a leader. Um, in this time, you know, how do we not return to how we were before? Like, how can we be changed by um, this experience of a global pandemic? How do we really reinvent and reimagine the world as it should be? How do we use this opportunity? Um, yeah, to ensure our, our, our ways of learning are more excellent and more equitable. So good. So good. Uh, I'm going to use this phrase again and again in the series. <clears throat> Part of the, the opportunity of this moment is that it can activate uh, what Walter Brueggemann calls our prophetic imagination. So mm, I love it. It, it has this ability to, if we will follow the spirit of God there, it has this ability for to uh, help us lift our heads and almost in the spirit of Nehemiah kind of mourn the breaking down of the city and then set out to rebuild the walls uh, of the city, you know. And it's not so much that COVID-19 has broken the walls of the city. I believe that COVID-19 has shown us that the walls of the city are broken. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, that's, that's such what, an important thing. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and so we, we yeah, have this, different. we can if we want to, uh, revert to business as usual, although I'm not sure how much that's even going to be possible because this has been such a leveling experience globally. Uh, but I think there is that there's that impulse within us to try and move back toward places of comfort, and there may be some some a gradual kind of drift in that direction. But I believe, uh, as followers of Jesus in the world today, in our various places of influence, if we're intentional about it, and we follow the Spirit's prompting and leading, there is huge um, opportunity uh, and possibility for us to really rebuild in a way that leads us to a different kind of future. You know, I think that mm -hmm. I really, in myself, I have a deep conviction about that. Um, yeah. So yeah, I just really agree with what you're saying, you know. Yeah, totally. Me too. And I think though, <clears throat> that whatever sphere you're in and I'm in education, you know, we have to design our learning experiences um, again around the most marginalized. I think this is a huge lesson that's coming out of the pandemic. Um, and that's not how school is designed in most of the world. In fact, you know, where we both live, you pay. When you can pay, you get to access quality, you know, well, what's perceived as quality. I really believe that it's excellence in this day and age means that you have to be learning with people who look like, think like, are different than you. Um, that's a necessity. But I think that we can't go back to these segregated um learning systems, number one. And I, I think also just from a pedagogy point of view, I'm going to geek out with my ed folks right now. You know, <laughs> kids are at home learning. 
And like, how can we leverage this, this moment to rethink like who has power in the classroom, who drives their learning, um, what's considered uh, legitimate forms of, of learning. Um, Can, can we use this moment to learn more about how to facilitate as educators more um, joyful, relevant um, learning experiences where the curriculum both opens kids' eyes, but also reflects um, their lives to them? How do we really reimagine the role of parents and our partnership with parents in learning? Um, how do we, yeah, how do we reimagine, you know, equal partnership with students as stakeholders in their own learning? I think this time is really, you know, pushing us to think about those things if we're open to it. Brilliant. And then finally, uh, man, that's so good. We could talk all day. Um, I wanted to always leave uh, some kind of resource in people's hands. So my desire always, again, is to, to merge the worlds of formation and mobilization. So give us some stuff, uh, people who are listening to this and who are inspired and uh, encouraged by this stuff. What are some of the things maybe that you're doing that they could get involved with if they wanted to? And then also maybe what are some books or some ideas or things that could start pointing them in directions in terms of what you're reading and what's inspiring you at the moment? Yeah. Awesome. Uh, So I have the distinct privilege to lead an organization called METIS. METIS is what the Greeks called local contextualized knowledge. And so, um, Our core function is to build a movement of local leaders who are fundamentally reinventing teaching and learning. And so if you're listening from Kenya, um, we run a a fellowship. And so come check us out and and apply for that. If you're an educator from afar, um, we have... um, we've created this resource hub in this moment for um, educators and parents to navigate learning during this time. And so I'll share that with, um, I'll share that with Matt, but you can also find it um, on social media and on our websites. It's um, metis, M-E-T-I-S collective.org. So, so there's something there that we've created. Um, and in terms of what I'm reading, listening to right now, man, like the Richard Rohr daily devotionals have been such an anchor during this time. I know we have so much more we could talk about what you were talking about, the merging of like, you know, he, he founded the Center for Contemplative Action. And I feel like this time is really pushing me. And what does it mean to be contemplative, to be still and know? And what does it mean to be an active participant in creating um, a more heavenly like world? Mm. Anyways, I find huge inspiration in Richard Rohr. Um, Yeah, that's what I would say. I read this book recently um, by Glennon Doyle. Mm -hmm. She's gone through a huge transformation in her own faith journey as well. The book is called Untamed. Listen to it on audio super thought-provoking, recommend it. Mm, Beautiful. Rebecca, thank you so much for being on the Follow-Up Podcast. Um, Thank you. 
And thank you for, for everything that you're doing. You're such an inspiration. And I just want to say, Wait, I have a total oh. plug. Can I plug something? I plug just realized something. Do it. my team, my, my, my community would be like, Rebecca, you have to invite people to support us. Um, so we're, we are, um, so in the midst of all of this too, one of our, our community's responses, we have so many, there are 15 million children in Kenya right now who are affected by school closures. So they're at home. Many of them do not have the luxury of internet or learning resources of any kind. And so as um, many of our partners go out and, and, and give food and um, sanitation supplies, which are really necessary, we are partnering to also distribute 15,000 learning toolkits, um, which were co-created by teachers and educators in our community um, so that all kids have fun, relevant math, science, literacy, uh, social, emotional health, um, creative activities that they can do at home during school closure. They are 17 cents, um, each to print. So, um, yeah, I will also give you information. Um, if you check us out on social media, it's also there. Um, we're trying to raise 3000 us dollars, um, again, to circulate 15,000 of these. So um, you can partner with us in that way. Absolutely. And I'll, um, Rebecca will share with me all the links to this stuff, guys, and I'll post it in the show notes on Podbean or iTunes, wow. and it'll also be in the YouTube uh, information under the video, so you can check it all out there. Rebecca Super Crook, cool. you're an inspiring human being. Uh, yeah. Thank you so much for being on the <laughs> follow-up podcast, man, and I uh, look forward to chatting to you again soon. Have a beautiful day, Matt. Thanks so much for having me. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening. And just before you go, I wanted to ask you to do three things. Number one, go across to the YouTube channel, Matt Lewis 516 Subscribe and turn on notifications. Uh, the reason for that is that every single one of these audio sessions has a video session as well. So by subscribing and turning on notifications, you can stay up to date with all of those sessions. Number two, go to Instagram, Matt Lewis 516 and follow there. The reason for that is that we're putting out all kinds of different content in addition to the follower podcast that may also be helpful for you. And number three, go to mattlewis.co.za if you haven't already and sign up for the quarterly newsletter, the latest. Uh, this will give you information on everything I've been doing, uh, everything I will be doing and how you can get involved with that. It also, with time, will give you first dibs on events that we're organizing when we can start to meet together again. Um, and I'd love for you to be a part of that story. This is just my little way of making the first contact of the internet start to move toward actual connection and community, which is really my heart behind all of this. Because whatever it means for us to really follow Jesus in the world today, I really believe we're going to have to do that together. So do those three things, the Instagram, the YouTube, and the website, and that helps us move from contact to connection. Thanks, and we'll see you in the next session.